Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. life one story at a time. This is the Chicken Soup for the Soul podcast with Editor-in-Chief Amy Newmark. Hey, it's Amy Newmark and it's Friend Friday on the Chicken Soup for the Soul podcast. And today we're hearing from Joan London. She has a new book out that combines humor with great advice. It's called, Why Did I Come Into This Room? And the subtitle is A Candid Conversation About Aging. So Joan, welcome back to the Chicken Soup for the Soul podcast. Always good to talk to you, Amy. Yeah, and we've done some things together. We did our Family Caregivers book together, and I think everybody who's listening knows who Joan is, but let me catch you all up on what Joan's been doing since she left Good Morning America. There, of course, she was the longest-running female host ever on early morning television, and she continues to be a journalist, a best-selling author, a motivational speaker, and a women's health and wellness advocate. And you may remember how she is also an advocate for breast cancer patients because she went through treatment more than five years ago, and she's fine now. She's had a number of best-selling books, including the one she did with us, Chicken Soup for the Soul Family Caregivers, and the book that she wrote about her cancer experience called Had I Known. This very busy woman is the mother of seven kids, three grown ones and four teenagers, She makes her home with her husband, Jeff, in Greenwich, Connecticut, and that's how we know each other, from when we lived across the street from each other and our kids played together. A lot has happened since then, though, because we've both gotten about three decades older, and we've both (laughs) been through cancer, and we're both writing books, so everything just continues to be as it is. So how did you decide that you were going to make this book about aging now? You know, it's interesting because I actually started writing this book maybe six, seven years ago, and then it was called, um, I think, Live Younger Longer. Then I got cancer, and of course, unfortunately, it takes a health crisis for a lot of us to really get smart about eating healthy and learning more about our bodies. And and all of a sudden, as I kind of turned the corner, I think this is a pivot point in a lot of our lives. I said to myself, I couldn't keep writing it. I wasn't inspired to keep writing that book. And I realized it's not about living younger longer. It's about living healthier and happier longer. And once I kind of pivoted and I realized that I wanted to talk about women and aging, I couldn't stop writing. It all just kind of, you know, and the more I researched for the book and the more I learned about our bodies and came to understand that all these things women go through as we age whether it's expanding waistlines or leaky bladders or loss of libido or, you know, forgetfulness and hot flashes, all these things that quite often we feel, oh my God, what's wrong with me? There's nothing wrong with us. It's age-appropriate changes and we're all going through them. I don't care how beautiful or famous or rich that one woman is, she's still leaking in power yoga. (laughs) And 
that's what I wanted to really get across in this book. It's time to start talking about all of these things. They can't be taboo because when they're taboo, then each and every one of us kind of holds it inside ourselves. And let's face it, a lot of these things are kind of embarrassing. And consequently, we tend not even to talk to our doctors about them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, when in many cases there are remedies and not necessarily even, you know, medical remedies, there are little tiny changes we can make in our life, easy changes that can help prevent some of these or at least make them more livable. And in my case, I think more laughable. And I knew I couldn't write about this without doing it with a sense of humor. Right. And I found, my, I found myself, I kept putting onto the page things that made me laugh out loud. Sometimes I would ask my grown daughters, the ones that used to play with your little ones, can I say this? Do you think I should say this? And as soon as they said, I don't know, mom, I'd say, all right, I'm putting it in the book for sure. <laughs> I think women, especially as they get older, are very earthy. Now, I love the way you have the book in three parts. And the first part is the mind. Second mm-hmm. part is the body. And the third part is the soul. But now in the first part, I learned something from this book. I had never heard about this concept before, third age. Yep. Well, you know, that's because it didn't used to exist. There used to be, you know, the first age as you're growing up and learning and you're dependent on your parents, then the second age, which is where you're a working person. And then it used to just be the third age was when you, you know, needed to be taken care of. Well, that's not life anymore. We now have this third age, it's called. They say it starts sometime in our 50s and goes to that point in our life where we need to be taken care of, which is the fourth age. I call it too old for Snapchat and too young for life alert. (laughs) I like that. That's very funny. And I love the chapter that you discussed third age. And what really got me was before I even read the book, I read all the chapters and the chapter titles are so funny. So (laughs) chapter five, which which discusses third age, is called I'm not old. I'm 45 plus shipping and handling. (laughs) (laughs) That was wonderful. In my head, I am 45. And all of us have a number because when we think of ourselves, we think of ourselves at some point. And usually if a person's over 50, that number is at least 10 years younger than their age. But, you know, we're so married to age in this country. And I think it's probably the worst description of any person. Because that's just reflective of the time that, you know, you came onto this earth. But the same, you know, you can take 10 people who are all 62, and they'll be incredibly different. And, you know, that's why I talk about biological age, the real, your actual age on paper. There's the biological age, which is how great you're keeping yourself in, in terms of fitness, and, and then there's your psychological age, which is what you think you are and how you live your life. Because when you marry yourself to an age and all of a sudden you hit 60 or 62 or 65, that concept can really hold you back. And you could say, you know what, I'm really not that relevant anymore. I'm past kind of my use-by date. And it really affects how you live your life and what you can expect of yourself and what plans you can make for your future. I totally agree with you. You know, we're exposed to tens of thousands of people because we get all these stories from people they submit for our books. And so we get these personal, you know, inside views of what people are thinking about. And it's amazing how one 65-year-old woman is viewing herself as young and dynamic and doing all kinds of cool things, even if she has a leaky bladder. And then another one who has the same leaky (laughs) bladder calls herself elderly. Of course, we always prefer the stories from the people who have that more positive 
dynamic <laughs> attitude. I don't want to say youthful because that's implying that youth no, is no, better, no. but just just that I'm still going to go and do exciting things and try new things. Right. That idea of youthful is something that's so built up in this country and revered. That's why there's this kind of pre-programmed idea that as we get older, somehow that's something to be looked at as bleak and horrible in a time of decline. That's not life today. It's not the reality that we're all living with. And, you know, these days when you turn 65, you might have three decades in front of you. And when I was a little girl, my mom always used to say, you got to always have plans. You know, half the fun of doing anything is being excited about it and anticipating it. Well, never has a truer thing been said than the need for having plans when you're at this pivot point in your late 50s, early 60s, where you can kind of take a big exhale. You can look back at your life, give yourself permission to just stop down a little bit, look at a life well lived, look at the fact and be proud of the fact that you navigated a lot of bends in your road. But then look, and you can kind of use that to look forward and with a sense of appreciation and gratitude, which is why I wanted to write about that as well, that now can be what a guidepost, if you will, for how you want to live the rest of your life. Because we need to be making plans at this point in our life, not retreating. Totally. I agree with you. I always have at least two vacations planned to look forward to (laughs) at any given time. Of course, right now I'm looking forward to a cruise in Italy, which doesn't sound like the best possible plan. (laughs) (laughs) But it's something to think about. It is. It changes. Exactly. So now that was mind. Now, in body, it doesn't matter what our attitudes are. We have that body that goes with our age or at least is close to going with our age. So I liked the part where you reminded us of something that we know, but it's on page 163. And I read this whole section about water, where you give all of these tips about reminding us we need water and then giving us tips for how we can actually force ourselves to drink enough water and hardly any of us do. No, but you know, part of the reason why I think we don't is because we don't fully understand how important it is to the functioning of our body, our pancreas, our liver, our brain. And one, you know, once you learn something, you can't unlearn it. So that's why I wanted to make sure that while this is a fun book, it is packed full of really important information. And only really after, I mean, I start the chapter out, I think, with saying you know, we, you, we can go I don't know, three weeks without food, but you can't go more than 72 hours without water. I was pretty shocked by that because I can't imagine going even 72 hours without food, of course. But, but that really shows you how important it is to the human body. Um, so once I learned how important hydration was and how it affected my, my brain, cognitive thinking, all of a sudden I looked at drinking water in a whole different way. And I learned different ways to put things in my water, you know, fresh oranges or cucumbers and things. And I also explained the difference between water, the liquid, and cellular water. Cellular water is the water that you get in celery and watermelon and cantaloupe and any kind of fruit and vegetable that has water in it. And those molecules are much better at hydrating our body. So, you know, that's when I started like, all right, I'm going to have a smoothie every morning and I have, you know, usually like spinach in it and a little bit of avocado because 
anything with avocado is okay in my book. And I put, you know, watermelon and raspberries and strawberries. And so, you know, before I leave my house, I've almost had my recommended daily allowance of fruits and vegetables, but it puts me ahead of the game. That's a great idea because I think a lot of people don't understand. They look at the recommended number of ounces and they don't realize you're allowed to get some of those ounces of hydration from fruits. You don't have to get all of yeah. them from just drinking plain old water, which Absolutely. gets boring after a while unless you put some lemon in it or you have some seltzer water or something else. Well, we're going to come back after the ad break and talk about part three of your book, which is the part about the soul. And I'm really looking forward to talking about that. So we'll be right back. We're back with Joan London, and we're talking about her fabulous new book, Why Did I Come Into This Room?, which is filled with so much great advice. We talked about the mind, we talked about the body, and now we're on part three of the book, which is The Soul. And I loved the chapter. It's on page 269. Friends are therapists you can drink with. <laughs> because I, I love that because I think that as we get older, sometimes we have to kind of do a reevaluation of friends because we're spending so much time visiting family members and grandchildren and friends really yeah. need to add value to our lives. And friends move to Florida and then we, they're not around anymore. And so I think this is something a lot of people talk about. It's not one of the things that you always hear as a predictor for how well you will age, but the top, you know, age experts say that there are three things that are the top predictors of how successfully you will age and how well you'll keep your cognitive thinking. And those three are staying engaged in life, making plans, having things to get up every day for, number two, social connections, and number three, is having a sense of purpose. And, you know, having friends keeps you so that you wake up in the morning. If you have something that you're excited about, you have someone to share it with. If you have something you're upset about, you have someone to talk to. It, it engages you. You go out and do things with them. You know, I don't know if I really understood just how important friendships are. And this is not just your family members. I mean, it really almost is more specifically about people who are not family members. And a lot of people make these kinds of relationships in a, a house of worship, whatever theirs is, um, or they're in some kind of a senior active community, and so they're right there in front of them. But if you aren't in one of those situations, you know, join a book club, join a gym, join whatever it is, look for things in your community, but make friends. And, you know, they don't have to be friends that you went to high school or grammar school with. Sometimes friends that you make later in age are the best ones, and that's because you're, you're at the same place in life. You have the same concerns. You can be contemplative together about your lives and about your future. But, but having friends and being able to engage all the time, it's one of the most important things. They say that isolation is worse for your health than smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Wow, that's incredible. It, I mean, that really shows you. I mean, and that's a real problem with older Americans. Yeah, I think another thing people could do is they could volunteer for whoever their favorite presidential candidate is. That's another opportunity to meet people right now. Absolutely. Anything that puts you in a group of hopefully like-minded people is a way to, you know, build friendships. 
And the the more friends we have in life, interestingly, as you go through this and you 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 really embrace that thought, your life starts to become more flourishing. And, you know, so that you're engaged in conversation, uh, so that you're going to movies together, so that you're talking about a book together, and you're talking about life together. Maybe you go take a, a class together. All of these things stimulate our brain. And by the way, hopefully maybe you go take a walk together, a power walk. You're more likely to go take that power walk or that yoga class or that Pilates class if you have friends that you'll go do it with. And all of those things are are real predictors. You know, our lifestyle choices today are absolutely going to determine our quality of life 20, 30 years from now. It's great that we're all getting like, you know, an extra two, three decades, but do we really want those decades if we lose our cognitive thinking and our health? So the more we understand what we need to put into and the decisions that are important to make today, the better off we'll be as we start to really age. Absolutely. Notice I just took myself out of that category of actually aging. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I think friends also can stimulate you to try new things and step outside your comfort zone. And I know so many of our writers make a resolution to say yes to new things. And often those new things are presented to them as possibilities by friends, including new friends. And they are just so proud of themselves and so stimulated. And they feel so much more dynamic when they try those new things. And you're more likely to say yes to things if you're doing it with a group, you know, singularly. Sometimes maybe we we are afraid to go outside of our comfort zone. My husband would tell you that if you're going to ever take a page out of the Joan London playbook, it is that whenever you're asked if you can do something, always say yes, and then go figure out how to do it. Absolutely. But never never pass up a possibility or an opportunity. Right. So I am so thrilled that you did this new thing, which is writing, why did I come into this room? And it's on sale now. And I know that we're going to see you doing a lot of TV interviews. We're going to read reviews of the book because it's making a big splash. So thank you so much for joining us today to talk about it. Oh, it's my pleasure. Always nice to talk to you, Amy. And come back, everybody, for our next episode. It will be the first look at our new book for Mother's Day 2020. It's called Chicken Soup for the Soul, The Magic of Moms. And I'll be sharing dozens of stories from it with you all the way up to Mother's Day. And if you're feeling like you'd like to talk about the aging process, we're putting together a book called Age is Just a Number. It's for our writers who are over 60. And the book's coming out on Election Day. You can go to chickensoup.com and click on Submit Your Story and read all about the book, and maybe you can give us a story or a poem that will appear in that book. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live.